0: you are cordially invited to a very special wedding. Now repeat after me. I, we, we. We, we. And you, wee Tom. We, we. In sickness and in health till death do us part. Till sickness and death. The bride is calm. <laughs> the groom is cool. Ooh. And the parents are the picture of happiness.
1: <laughs>
0: There's only one problem. Everyone wants to kiss the bride. Except the groom. What started as a little white lie... Don't you see? This way, Wei, Wei can stay in the States and paint. And you can finally get your parents off your back. ...grew into a performance... This was your big idea. ...of amazing proportions. As a married couple, you'll be able to take a big tax break.
1: The Samuel Goldron Company proudly presents... Wei, Wei. What do you think you're doing? The
0: most outrageous social event of the season. The Wedding Banquet. Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of Feroic Purgatory, an Asian cinema podcast. I'm John and with me as always is my co-host Jason. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, John. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, we were talking a little bit about the heat before recording, but it's not so bad over here. But I understand it's going to be bad over there in the next couple of weeks or in the next few days. I remember exactly what it was.
1: Next couple of weeks. So um be hanging out in my workplace where there's air conditioning. Oh, okay. Okay. Sounds good. So today we'll continue our coverage uh, of 90s Asian
0: cinema with the 1993 film The Wedding Banquet, directed by Taiwanese director Ang Lee. Uh, but before we get to that, we will uh, do our usual segment of what we've been watching or reading in the last couple of weeks. So why don't you start, Jason?
1: Well, since um, the Kazuo and Shichiko Kobayashi season, um, I haven't really watched uh, any films. I've just been uh, rewatching season one of The X-Files, and um, it's great revisiting it. It's a series I grew up with um, during the 90s, and um, it's been a long time since I've uh, watched any episodes of the X-Files, and um, rewatching it sort of blew away cobwebs of, like, uh, nostalgia, and um, sort of gave me a fresh new perspective on the show, how um, procedural aspects and, like, office politics actually play a much greater part uh, in the stories, which I found really interesting. Yeah. Have you seen it before?
0: I mean, have you seen all of it before?
1: Yeah, I've seen everything except the last season. So the new ones, you mean? Yeah. Um, okay. Like, I tend to uh, think of it as a monster of the week show, and um, I tend to not remember the alien episodes with uh, too much fondness, but actually I, um, I'm enjoying them, and I'm surprised at how quickly Scuddy actually starts to believe that um, aliens do exist.
0: Yeah, no it's it's um the dilemma aspect of the show where you have you know the the whole science versus faith or conspiracy versus fact that doesn't last very long. It just you know the show establishes pretty early on that yeah, aliens are the conspiracy aliens exist the conspiracies are pretty much true it's just a matter of how do we reveal them slowly over the the course of the seasons. Yeah. I I I think I've only seen up to season 6, I don't remember. I've seen, um, uh, yeah, some somewhere around. So I haven't, I I haven't seen the full of the original run, and I certainly haven't seen the reboots. But yeah, I remember it. I remember uh, it's been a few years, but there's a few episodes that, like the, the one where they go. I think it's season three or four where they go to the that one small American town with the weird family.
1: Mm, I can't remember.
0: Uh, It's uh, with the one where they there's this strange there's this sort of um, is a critique on on suburbia in the american okay. dream where uh i that i still think about that episode sometimes it's like it's it made such a huge impression on me there's the uh, just not not to spoil it but there's essentially this in this small american town there's this creepy family of uh inbreds
1: oh yeah i remember it's got their um the commander from space above and beyond in it, the sheriff. He plays the sheriff. Sheriff, yes, that's right. That's right.
0: Yeah, that, like, I I mean, there's that's not the only episode that I remember, but that's kind of, I still think about that sometimes. Like, that's how, that's how, such a, a remarkable episode that was. But anyway, uh, what else?
1: Oh, That's the only thing I've been able to watch. I haven't been able to concentrate on much of anything. It's like I've lost the f- uh, uh thread. I'm trying to grab it again, you know.
0: No, we we there's uh, there's weeks when you don't get to do that much uh, watching or or reading. Did you did you finish the series, the Hara series? Because we had one film that we hadn't seen when we did our episode, our special episode last time.
1: Yeah, Minamata Mandala. I know I haven't been able to dedicate enough time to it. Okay, so it'll have to be when I have another day off work. I've just finished thirteen days of work, and I'm about to start another thirteen days.
0: Okay, well, that's that's good. Hopefully, you still have the screener so you can watch it. I did watch it, and uh, I, I mean, you know, we there's a certain quality that you that you sort of have to expect when you watch a Kazuo Hara and uh, Kobayashi documentary, and there certainly lives up to that. I have to say, it might have been the fact that I watched it sort of very shortly after we recorded, and it, we had. I had done for a while. I had done nothing but watch Kazuo Hara documentaries. That maybe I was a little bit burned out, and I think Minamata Mandela didn't have quite the effect that it would have had had I seen it fresh. Yeah, but also I found it too similar to the asbestos documentary, larger in scope and about three times as long. Uh, but uh, but I think that I think the fact that it was very similar, very similar structure, very similar subject matter, different illness, but. I I don't know I it'll at many points throughout the documentary I felt like I was watching the same one and you could have fooled me if you just gave me a description of the two
1: and I would have said oh they sound very very similar ah right yeah I guess it's kind of like um this was a great opportunity to watch all the films together so it's quite easy to get burned out it is yeah and I think that might have been a factor which I think I had I watched, had I, I think
0: you might enjoyed a little bit more than i did just because you're giving it a little bit of time between the uh the other ones and this one
1: yeah if you're seeing this in isolation at a film festival like busan like a couple of years after um Sena and asbestos disaster then you'll be so sort of much more open to rewatching something of the a, s- a similar nature again
0: yeah um so another thing i watched the final season of the show psych i'm not sure if you're familiar with it uh I've heard of it, but I've never watched it. It's about a a person who pretends to be a psychic in order to be a detective at a with the police. It's a sort of a one of those comedy, action, drama, drama shows. I had seen everything else. Does it does
1: it have Toby from The West Wing in it?
0: Yes, it has. Uh, I I don't know. I I haven't seen The West Wing, but yes, the 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 black character is was also in The West Wing. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, I had seen. I had seen the the rest of the show, and I fi- I finally I had, I hadn't seen the final season, so I finally got around to it. I read an interesting novel called A Bullet for Cinderella by John D. MacDonald. It's um, John D. MacDonald was a, a writer from from the 40s and the 50s and the 60s who wrote your typical sort of hard boiled uh, detective and thriller noir noirish type of films. He's mostly known for writing the novel. On which Cape Fear is based on, oh, but he wrote a lot of those thrills, and a bullet of Cinderella is one of um, his more minor uh less known novels, but it's also I feel like his attempt to sort of maybe get into more literary fiction and it was it was um it was pretty pretty nice, pretty interesting i recommend it it's a it's a short novel, it's nothing, and that's mostly what I read these days uh well and well the and then I also started after that I started reading a the Doomsday book by Connie Willis and this one is a huge novel and i generally i i don't i don't like to read big books anymore um i prefer i mostly read short stories these days and and you know shorter novels novellas that kind of that kind of thing uh this is a, a 500 600 page novel but it's something that i've been wanting to read for a while it's about time travel and it's a pretty interesting book and i saw it on a thrift shop for very cheap so i picked it up and i started reading it So we'll see how long it takes me to finish that one. And I watched, I did a marathon for all the Planet of the Apes movies. Oh, blimey. When I say all, I do mean all. So I do mean, well, I saw all the five uh, original Planet of the Apes and I saw the 3 reboot Planet of the Apes. I did not see the Tim Burton remake. I just didn't, I was planning to, but I just didn't have time. And I I wanted to also catch the TV show that was the short-lived TV series in the 70s, but I could not find it. Ah,
1: did you watch the musical of Troy McClure?
0: No, is that is that from The Simpsons? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I I know I've seen it, but I okay, I wasn't sure because there, there's it's totally plausible that there would have been a, t- a, a, a legitimate musical made from The Planet of the Apes because that's what Broadway sort of does. Well,
1: uh, funnily enough, the film we're talking about today actually had a musical uh, adaptation. Oh, okay, so well, we can we can talk. I've I I
0: had not heard it until now. Well,
1: I heard of it. Uh, yeah, I couldn't track down any footage of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, is it uh was it released in uh Taiwan or is it an American thing?
1: Uh American uh 2003. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so after after
0: that uh comes our news segment. So we have a couple of things that we've written down. This one uh, the first one is a a minor uh, tidbit, and it's about, uh, we talked a few weeks ago about Bong Joon-ho working on an animated uh, film, uh, either he has his next one or the one after that, and I, I read an article that he's thinking of releasing it around 2025, so I just wanted to mention that. Nothing, nothing particular about what the animated film is going to be about or anything like that. And there's also going to be, in addition, in the same article he mentioned about uh, a Parasite series, which has been, this is not news. This has been, I think, as as soon as Parasite was released and became popular, I think there were discussions of turning it into a TV series, which I'm not sure how it's going to work. I'm not sure if it's going to be an an American TV series or a South Korean TV series, uh, which is entirely plausible, but it's something that's potentially in the works.
1: Uh, This is the IndieWire article, isn't it? Uh, possibly yeah i don't remember it's uh yeah bong joon ho made this announcement at the Cannes film festival which he uh returned to mm. and um like we discussed previously the animated film is um about sea creatures and he said he was inspired by a book his wife brought home which had uh, really beautiful photographs illustrations and the parasite series uh, will be set in america Okay, well, that that'll be interesting to uh
0: to see how exactly they're gonna do that. Of course, I mean, it's not, I don't, it's not out of the realm of possibility that a story like that could be set in America. In fact, it's it's a very, it's 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 not a very Korea like uh, it is, but it also isn't necessarily. So you, it's theoretically possible, although it all
1: depends on who's who's in charge of it. I suppose you could set it in Silicon Valley or a. A nice fancy uh, apartment in New York.
0: Yeah, and I think I'll I'll just you know I mean uh, certainly there's there's many ways, but I'll I'll uh, we talked I mentioned this in the Kim Ji woon episode the the Quiet Family where he complained in an interview he said that Americans don't adapt they just translate and they remove the things that make no logical sense. So I do hope that when they do this they adapt it so they change, you know the, like like I said the film is not a very necessarily a korean story but it does only have things that make it korean and i think when this american series comes out uh if it ends up coming out uh i'm not sure how it, at what stage of production it is but i hope they do adapt it to be uh, you know to make sense in america to be an american story as opposed to just simply translating it and and and, and removing the things that don't make logical sense yeah Uh, Okay, so there's another uh, uh, news item which I I think you can uh, talk about, Jason.
1: Yeah, so um, the New York Asian Film Festival announced a first tranche of information about this year's edition. Um, It takes place uh, from August 6th to the 22nd. It's a hybrid event with in-person programming at film at Lincoln Center and the SVA Theater. And there's also going to be an online section uh, at the what looks like the Lincoln Center Virtual Cinema, and there are going to be over 60 films available. Um, the availability of the films, whether they're going to be digital or physical only, uh, is uh, going to be announced on the website itself. Uh, some of the films announced, uh, Free Sisters, which I saw at the Osaka Asian Film Festival, which I highly recommend, very caustic black comedy drama. Uh, and You've also got Over the Town, uh, Rikaya Imaizumi, a uh, funny sort of relationship comedy. And you've got a couple of award winners, such as A Balance um, and Under the Open Sky, and also Junkhead, a stop-motion animation. Um, there's also going to be a free outdoor screening of the Hong Kong classic New Dragon Gate Inn to mark the 10th anniversary of the film's restoration. So uh, just head over to the website to get the full list of the films uh and see how much tickets cost yeah
0: i'd be interesting to see what exactly the selection what part of the selection and how much how many of the films are available online because that is um i think that is a change we've mentioned this before this is no news but i think that's a change that if festivals especially the smaller ones are smart that's a change that they'll keep as opposed to reverting back entirely to the old ways
1: yeah specialist festivals uh who want to boost their audience profile they'll um uh, by making their films available nationally or well, that's how they do it
0: yeah uh okay and and just a tease uh to give a small teaser we might have more to say about the new york uh asian film festival in in future episodes but i think that's it for now unless you have anything to add that's it uh for our new segment oh nope that's it <laughs> Uh, okay, so now we can move on to the main discussion. And like I mentioned in the introduction, today we're talking about Ang Lee's 1993 film, The Wedding Banquet. So as usual, Justin, would you like to give us a, a summary of the
1: plot of the film? So uh, The Wedding Banquet follows Wai Tung Gao, a tiny something immigrant from Taiwan who has spent most of his adult life in America, living as a couple with his gay partner, Simon. As a landlord of a few buildings, Wai Tung's life is comfortable unless you factoring his elderly parents in Taiwan, who send him increasingly nagging messages urging him to marry a Chinese girl and produce a grandchild. They do not know about his sexuality, and he cannot tell them. So, to placate the old folks, he enters into a marriage of convenience with one of his tenants, a cash-strapped, green-card-seeking artist from Shanghai named Wei Wei. When Tung's parents found out, They both arrive in New York expecting a wedding, which forces Whitetong and Weiwei to go through with an elaborate wedding ceremony, a wedding banquet, and a messy aftermath that threatens to out Whitetong's secret life.
0: Okay, thank you, Jason. Uh, So, to start our discussion like we usually do,
1: when was the first time that you saw this film and what did you think of it? So, uh, I watched it for the very first time uh, last week's Saturday. uh, Yeah, it's... uh, I was aware of it due to uh our uh a previous episode we did on an Ang Lee film um eat drink man woman and uh doing some sort of cursory research and looking at trailers uh i wasn't expecting too much um and so by the end i was quite surprised at how moved i was uh i saw it as a poignant story about having to reconcile with cultural differences agings, um uh, like the impositions of tradition and gender on individuals and also like there's a almost palpable sense of isolation that each of the characters brings and um, yeah it's I just it's very funny in parts I don't want to put people off but it's a very moving drama um, and uh, yeah the, the end It felt like um, the message is life has disappointments but you just have to accept them <laughs> In order to reach greater happiness,
0: yeah. Well, I think I think the film has uh, perhaps more messages than that, especially specifically talking about you know this reconciliation reconciliation between tradition and you know the new ways, which is a lot of what we talked about. I think in our episode of Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, if I remember correctly, yeah. When I don't, I mean this, I I don't remember exactly when I saw this, but it was a very very close in time to Eat, Drink, Man, Woman when I was becoming aware of. Uh, Ang Lee's, uh, cinema. And, uh, you know, I, I tried to seek out the films that I could get my hands on. And I think this and Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, of course, they're related. They're part of his unofficial, uh, Father Snow's best trilogy. Uh, so I, I must've seen them around the same time a while ago, but I rewatched it in preparation for this episode. And it, it was, it was a little bit different than I remembered. For some reason, I remember this being a lot funnier than it actually Uh, ended up being like you said there are some really comedic moments in the film uh, and we'll talk about but it's mostly a a drama or at least the majority of it is a is a well-structured drama and the comedics are more sprinkled the comedic moments are more sprinkled throughout the film rather than this being a a comedy a comedy so to speak and i was a bit uh, I, i was a bit taken aback by in this rewatch simply because of my expectation of it being more of a comedy than it actually turned out to be. Uh, And then then there were other few things that I I didn't remember as well. Like there are, um, and we'll talk about this. I think when uh, we did our episode of Eat, Drink, Men, Woman, I think we might've rated our Ang Lee films. And uh, I am fairly certain, I should have gone back and listened to that episode just to be uh, to be more accurate. But if I remember correctly, I think I rated this above Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. I don't think this would still be the case. I think if I, now that I've re-seen, I think I would rate Eat, Drink, Men Woman above this one. This one is a fine film, is a great film. I had some problems with it. Some of it had to do with, I think, the pacing of the film in the middle. And uh, some of it more, more you know, uh, b- sort of personal issues of what exactly uh Ang Lee's trying to say I st- like I said I still think it's a fine film but I think Eat Drink Man Woman is is a bit more accomplished as a movie of course I think neither of us has seen the first part of the trilogy which was I think Ang Lee's uh feature debut but how would you compare these to Eat this the wedding banquet to the to Eat Drink Man Woman now that you've seen both
1: well Eat Drink Man Woman feels like a more polished film in terms of story and visuals um and I felt like Some of the casts were uncomfortable in the setting of New York, whereas in their native Taiwan, they were very comfortable. Yeah, so, you know, it kind of like, um, specifically like line readings from Winston Chow, which came off as mechanical as opposed to like someone who's lived in America for such a long time.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and, uh, you can, I mean, it's easy to tell that he doesn't have that degree of comfort with not just the English language, but just, just being in New York that a character, like you said, a character who presumably has been in New York for 10 years, I think he says in one point. Uh, and even the, 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 the few like American guests in his wedding feel so out of place um, in the, in the film. It's just a, a thing. Like I, I understand Ang Lee and I don't know if you notice Ang Lee's cameo in that, in that banquet scene.
1: Yes, uh this is uh, this banquet is like the results of 5000 years of sexual repression.
0: Yeah. And just to get to get a few moments of levity out of the way first. You know, he he has this huge wedding banquet with hundreds of guests. Presumably some of them are his friends. Does nobody know that he's gay?
1: Yeah, he kept <laughs> Yeah, he kept that secret. So maybe he didn't want to get him back to his parents.
0: But it doesn't it doesn't look like in in his like, I mean, he he lives openly. I mean, his neighbors know that he's gay. His tenants, the tenants that know him, you know, obviously the uh, the Wei Wei character is is just a tenant, and she knows that he's gay. It doesn't look like he's keeping his lifestyle secret in America. He's just keeping it a secret from his parents and presumably other members of his family. But it's you know, the the people at the wedding are just not his family; they're his friends. So I would think that some of them would know that he's gay. Of course, maybe they just think it was a phase i, I mean in the early 90s it was still you know a lot more uh i mean homosexuality was very much a, a a part of the mainstream but it wasn't as accepted as it is today so maybe people just chucked it out as he was a phase but i still found it very very unusual that nobody of his invited friends especially his english speaking i mean his american friends at a wedding would have been his and his partners, his boyfriend's friends, that would have not been family friends.
1: Yeah, you do see them pop up in different scenes where Simon, the partner, is um, giving out uh, information about AIDS or they go around to the house to um, you know, collect Simon to go off somewhere. Um, nobody makes a comment so it makes it seem like either they're in on the scheme or in the case of the Taiwanese friends that um, Wai Tung has just kept them at arm's length so they don't know. But yeah. At some- it's you you get the sense that it's meant to be a tight-knit community somebody would find out and then word would spread and people would be like oh why are we at a wedding
0: uh yeah yeah i think i think i think i mean that's again i think the film doesn't you know whatever the explanation is i think the film doesn't want you to it's like a you know a james bond film don't think too much about how this is possible it's just you know we're here and it's it's about it's about the winston chow's or white tongue's relationship with his family don't don't look too too deep into it, but I don't know. It still it still bothers me. I just, uh, especially when when sort of things like that things like that sort of tend to bother me sometimes. Uh, but that's I think that's what I mean with I think you know like you said, uh, eat drink make Woman is very polished and I would argue ironclad.
1: Yeah, it's like the comedy that works best in both films is one that's drawn directly from the characters and sort of like their inability to sort of. Um, synchronise with their settings so like the funniest moments for me was uh the city hall wedding yeah yeah they've got this incongruous scene with like um uh white and uh Wei, Wei uh dressed up and uh, the parents the elderly parents are dressed up to the nines um and like everybody else around them is just wearing like uh normal everyday clothes and um and it's just like the most undignified ceremony you could imagine and way Wei- way messing up her lines and making marriage sound absolutely horrible i loved um the actress's dramatic intonation when she delivers the lines until sickness and death <laughs> that's, that's that's what she's expecting
0: <laughs> that was like i said it had been several years since i had seen this film and that was one uh that was a scene that i remembered very very well like it was just it, it's it's a scene that i think stands out in the film that. Uh, I think that part works, the part where she messes, she cries uh, and and the mother doesn't want her to mess uh, the makeup, her makeup that spent hours doing. Uh, that's a pretty funny scene. Uh, but I do think, you know, the, the, the city hall ceremony is not only really uh, that's a comedy that works and works well in the film and it's not as cringy as some of the. You know, American people in the wedding saying, "Oh, I thought the Chinese were meek," or or things like that. I understand it's 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 all in good fun, but it's still, I don't know. I don't know that that joke lands very well. And uh, but the the scene in the city hall, I think, in addition to being funny, it's also I think says is perhaps uh, I think an indication about things that you know Ang Lee might be saying, or at least. Considering, not necessarily reaching a conclusion, but considering about the institution of marriage as a whole, especially with, you know, traditions, outdated traditions traditions, uh, and their standing in modern society. So we can talk about that Uh, before we get to what's so great about this film and what the film is trying to say. I just want to get out of the way all all my issues with it that I sort of realized in this watching, and you can tell me or not whether you agree with it. But I also felt sort of in the middle part, from the moment the parents arrive up till sort of the the big wedding banquet, I felt the pacing was a little bit off, especially the boyfriend character, which is played by what's the name of the actor? Uh, Mitchell Lichtenstein. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's him. And I think he's gay in real life. I don't think Winston Chow is, but Lichtenstein is. Uh, Liechtenstein, maybe that's that's the American pronunciation. Uh, but hmm. he sort of disappears. Like he's in the background, he's in scenes, he's in the shots very often, but he rarely has any lines. And when he does, they're just kind of silly. And he's trying to be funny. Like he's, he has a camera where he's like too into photographing, uh, the, especially the, like that city hall wedding. He just goes there with no, clearly nobody cares, but he's just trying to be, trying to take photographs of the scene uh of the of the wedding i don't know if you felt the same way if you thought he was appropriately uh, featured in those scenes or if he should have been maybe a little bit more in there i
1: no, i felt like that he was very well utilized um i considered his situation to be one of growing isolation in contrast to the other characters of chinese descent and he's on the outside and that created a very poignant sort of um, counterbeat to what was going on with the family.
0: I, I agree. I agree. I just wish they had Angley had found a different way to sort of to show his isolation, but also maybe featuring him more. Maybe instead of just having him. And I understand this is this is perhaps more of a personal issue than an objective criticism of the film. But you know, the scene where he goes out to uh, to have fun with friends with is clearly the start of their, if they're you know if they're dist- distance and in separation with uh, Wei Toon characters perhaps we could have shown him a little bit what he does in his free time.
1: but I understand that this is you know white tongue story. Uh, yeah I, I felt like it was like well balanced that like we got enough glimpses of what he does in his private life and in his professional life as well that uh, he felt like a a, a real person.
0: Yeah. And like I said, I think more more of it might be part of what what I wished I had seen as opposed to what the film really needed. But in, another thing that I think fits into the same category is uh, the ending where everything seems to sort of fall apart uh way ways about to get an abortion and we get that very uh doomy uh, foreshadowing of Simon leaving white tongue As soon as his parents leave, and then the father just swoops in, and reveals that he knows everything, and he essentially fixes everything. And and again, it's it's not a bad ending. In fact, it's a very heartfelt ending, and it's a very interesting twist, if I'm if I can use that word. But I it, it's also a bit Deus ex machina. And I generally have, I, I think I've mentioned before in this podcast, I tend to have somewhat of an aversion uh towards those kind of endings. I wish we had gotten maybe a little bit more foreshadowing a little bit more uh more a few more indications that the father knew what was going on throughout all this time. But then again I sort also understand that maybe the ending would not have had the impact that that it had if that was indeed the case. So I'm I'm not I'm I feel a little bit conflicted, but I do still I'm not sure how I how much I enjoy this sort of Deus Ex Machina style of
1: ending. I think we had a similar discussion about eat trick man woman.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's, that's probably, I mean, I think Angley was involved in the writing of those, and I think Stephen Seamus, Peter Seamus, what was the one of the writers' name? He was also a writer in A Drink Man Woman.
1: I uh, have to look it up.
0: His last name was Seamus. I forget what his first name is.
1: Wikipedia to the rescue. Um, written by James Schmaus. Schmaus. Okay, I thought he was Seamus, Sch- but <laughs> maybe Schmaus.
0: And I think he was also a writer in A Drink Man Woman.
1: Yeah, um, he's like a, it seems like he's a constant producer writing partner. Yeah. With Angley. Yeah. He's written and produced on the wedding banquet, Edric Man Woman, pushing hands. He's produced Sense and Sensibility, um, written and produced the ice storm, ride with the devil, um, crouching tiger, hidden dragon, Hulk, Brokeback back mountain, lust caution. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so he's he's a, a, a pretty much a very frequent collaborator of Angley. So he's you know they the, he his writing style I think complements perhaps perhaps complements well with Angley's directorial style. But yeah, perhaps that's why the films feel similar in ending. Maybe that is their style, or maybe they just didn't know how to end them and they said, well, you know, we we want to portray the father in good light, so that's just the way the way that we can
1: do it the best. Mm. I think like for a first time watch, uh, I I was I. It was it was fine. I I didn't have those criticisms. I enjoyed it for what it was. And um, anybody who hasn't watched this one, I like recommend that you go see it. I admit that it's a subjective part of it. Is um
0: is uh is just personal taste. And it's the same thing as to move our discussion forward a little bit. Uh, with you know perhaps Ang Lee's take on on the argument between tradition and and modernity and i think we talked about this a lot and it's i think it's it's a it's a good uh, thing that he kind of tackles the same subject in in all of his early films and we can sort of view the same thing from a different perspective and this is a very different perspective than eat drink men woman because it's 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 uh involves um uh, a gay issue which is at the time it would like i said it was Sort of mainstream, but not really, but it was certainly not at all mainstream in uh China in fact or in in Asian countries generally in fact i think I think the article that you sent me mentioned that it was uh, homosexuality was considered a mental illness until two thousand one in China.
1: yeah, it's considered a mental illness. um The article I sent um basically establishes that there's like no discrimination based on religious principles or or any government mandates like you. Feature in other countries, it's just um a cultural thing where um people in China, Taiwan, the Chinese diaspora um are expected to carry on uh family duties and um, being gay or lesbian is seen as disrupting that because there's the expectation that gay and lesbian people can't have children.
0: Yeah, although I would argue those those cultural tropes come from Confucianism, so it is religious in a sense, but. But it, perhaps it has transcended that, and a lot of people don't necessarily tie it to Confucianism today. But that's where it, or those things originate from. Um, yeah. Uh, however, so that's that's what I'm saying that, that this 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 clash is even stronger in the wedding banquet because of you know this inability to 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 carry those filial duties that that especially males of the family are expected to. Uh, but uh, like like I mentioned in "Drink, Man, Woman," I think uh, Ang Lee is coming is films from both sides. He is criticizing the outdatedness of these traditions, how they are fundamentally incompatible with modern sensibilities. But I also think he, I get the sense that he can't help but feel nostalgic. Like, yes, he Tong rejects the idea that he has to carry, or Ang Lee on behalf of Wei Tong rejects the idea that he has to continue uh, his field of tradition by producing offspring, but he also sort of understands where why that tradition exists or sympathize with it. I'm not sure what the right word it is, but it is this overall sim- sympathy or or uh, appreciation on behalf of White Tongue and ultimately of Angeli. I don't know if you got that sense
1: from from the film. I, yeah, I think you can see that from the way he's able to make tradition and modernity reconcile with each other at the end that like some of these traditional values can be carried forward but they just have to be um changed in some manner so the you, the younger characters are usually moving away from the parents and from tradition and uh in this case of so the fil- in this film uh Tongue has gone all the way to America to uh live out uh his life freely and um there's, I think, there's some criticism that he's living quite selfishly as well. um I don't think it's criticism of his sexuality per se. Just like his no,
0: I. But that, that that's what I mean. Uh, that's what I mean. Ang Lee sympathizing with the tradition because it is selfish from a Confucian point of view. And I think the same. The same. We had the same exact discussion for or similar discussion for E Jing Men Woman. Except I don't think tradition in that in that um uh, film. I don't think in the by the end. I think the the characters come at an amical point, but I don't think tradition and modernity are reconciled as much as they are. I think in the wedding uh, banquet. But yes, he is living selfishly, and I think Ang Lee in this film, but not in Eat Drink by Woman. I think Ang Lee sort of r- resigns to that idea, and and I'm not I'm not a big fan of that uh, personally. Um, uh, but but it's, it's sort of that's I think that's like uh, that's where he's sort of
1: coming from. Yeah, yeah it's like the characters they all want to pursue their individual desires but they have to give something up and they have to subsume their identities into something else
0: yeah, and the, but there there's this irony and, and sort of uh, and I I'm pretty sure I mentioned this in the wedding uh, um in the in it Dream by woman and we'll be refer- I'm referring to that movie a lot and we'll be referring to I will continue to do so for good reason but uh, you know I came from I came from a culture that that is very similar in terms of, you know, those sort of family pressures to what Ang Lee is portraying in this film. And I have personally rejected that culture. So that's why I'm, I am I feel I, I'm always a little bit disappointed when Ang Lee arrives at a conclusion of reconciliation. And that's just personal. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to, uh, to say that the, I'm right and he's wrong or he's right and I'm wrong, but it is, it is somewhat, somewhat of a, a contrast and, and also a, a very fascinating for me because white town would not be able to have the life that he has in china or in taiwan that he has in the u.s uh and just to, to be to be a little bit more cynical about it i, I think in real life most fathers would not have the acceptance of their gay son that uh what's the character's name in in the film
1: um miss oh i just call it mr Gao.
0: Yeah, but what's the actor's name? He he he's oh, all Si Lung, and he is also an e-drink man woman. Yeah, uh, I don't think most. I think that's a, a, like a more more of a wishful thinking on behalf of Ang Lee. I and, and maybe I'm just too cynical, and maybe I'm just underestimating the understanding of of you know like the that generation of Chinese people. The mother's reaction, I think, is more realistic because she until the very almost at the very end, I think she even changes her mind in the end, but but almost to the, like before that airport scene, she's still hoping that her son would eventually change that the whole is a phase. So I think that's a more realistic reaction to uh, to what a, a realistic father and mother would sort of react in in that scene. So that's why I'm a little bit, you know, taken aback by Ang Lee's conclusion that these two cultures, while will never fully be compatible, there is some reconciliation that can be had. I don't know again, that that's a very uh, sort of personal interpretation for me that I, I understand how it's not necessarily the conventional interpretation, but I, I, I would be interested to to hear what you think of
1: it uh, in, in your watching of this film. It, that it's more a story contrivance than uh, realistic. Yeah, I'd agree. I agree that like um, the mother's reaction is probably the most realistic. I, I, even today, people still think like that, that it's a, a mental condition or a, or a phase um i felt that the father's reaction uh I, I bought it in the film because you're given enough oh yeah For, from a dramatic sorry to interrupt you but
0: from a dramatic point of view it makes sense it's not in in, in the context of the steam I, I was only
1: speaking in terms <laughs> from of From a cultural point of view. cultural point yeah 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 I um without having lived in that culture I, I i i don't know but it seems like the mother's reaction is the more likely one but again it sort of um echoes happy together where in order to live um a gay lifestyle you have to leave china taiwan that part of the world and go to the west and the characters find that they can't quite escape chinese culture
0: yeah yeah it's yeah like i said it you know i i definitely sympathized with a white frustration in the beginning of the film where he is just just Can't get them off the back, off his back for, uh, but then I I also another to, to go back to another funny scene when he's, um, when his uh, partner, when his boyfriend proposes that he fake marries Wei Wei. Oh. Uh, he never considers, but then when he mentions tax reasons, because he's in a previous scene, he mentions how the taxes are killing him. Yeah. His eyes light up exactly yeah yeah that, that's another funny scene but also just uh to, to to go back a little bit the apartment that he manages just looks horrible i would never want to live there
1: yeah they've got well we started the show talking about uh extreme heat we see that wei Wei's, uh living in an apartment with no air conditioning and it's super hot and so she's practically dying there
0: yeah although she does not she lives in the building but she doesn't live in an apartment. I think
1: she lives in a storage room or something oh, like that. Yeah, he does mention that rent is so cheap because it's not an actual apartment.
0: Yeah, but he does mention later to his parents that, oh, you can't live in the building that I manage because it's, it's terrible or something like that, which is the excuse he gives for living living with him and Simon.
1: Yeah. It's just uh, another character detail It shows that he he's a landlord, but he's still just starting out
0: yeah exactly. I think that's another i don't know if this can be interpreted as him moving on with his life or just another indication that he's being selfish because he's fully invested in this American dream you know he's never going back to China he's just you know he's hes has a house he has a you know i mean except the fact that he's gay he is living you know the American dream he lives in a nice suburban house with a Loving partner and he has a business of his own that he's invested his savings in and he's doing everything he's even hes even angry at the government for taxing him so he's going <laughs> full American absolutely low tax <laughs> yes yeah. so in um, I don't know that this film necessarily I'm going through the discussion points here I'm not I'm not sure that the film necessarily says anything about immigrant culture Specifically, since you know, we this is a very, I think, a more personal story. Because, from what from all except for the you know the awkward English that Winston Chow speaks, which I guess he couldn't help it, I don't think we see any instances of a white tongue struggling to to fit into American society. Like I just mentioned, it looks like he's fit pretty well, but we do get. Uh, wei wei we get that sort of story from wei wei and you know eventually she has to resort to this a uh, fake marriage and she she arrives at a different conclusion in the end that perhaps all that is not worth worth it to just stay in america i'm not sure if you got much out of sort of that story that subplot of the film
1: uh, it added to the sense of isolation of the characters like simon is a westerner so you know despite his best attempts at Trying to speak Chinese, he's like he only knows so much at that time, so he can only understand uh, to a certain degree. Um, Wei Wei is separated from her culture, from her family, she's alone um, she's afraid immigration's gonna pick her up and her best friend's been sent back to China um, so like <laughs> um, you've got all these people living lonely lives and um, trying to make the best of it in America.
0: Yeah, well, uh, first, so that's, that's true, but uh, I, uh, I, was, I was a bit confused exactly of what to make of that initially, because I thought the film was trying to make the case that White Tongue doesn't have the troubles that Wei Wei has, because he has sort of assimilated to American culture, like I just
1: mentioned. He's more or less living, living the American dream. Well, he's sort of cast off all of the signs of like uh, Chinese culture in his own home. And it isn't until his parents uh, arrive that he ha- he immediately starts putting up wall scrolls and art from Taiwan.
0: Yeah, and 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 to be uh, and I thought that was the film was making a statement uh, about that, which uh, in comparing Waitang's Tong's relative success to Wei Wei's relative failure. But if you think about it, Wei Wei has also sort of cast out you know the the Chinese. Of traditional aspects of of what is expected of her, like she doesn't know how to cook, that's a uh, that was a big indication. She lives more or less as a, as, you, as your typical stereotypical starving artist, which is a very Western, I think, trope. I don't not as familiar with you know Chinese literature uh, or or tropes, but I don't think that's very much a trope in Asian in East Asian uh, communities, where it's a very very <laughs> a typical trope in American communities. And that she's living that life, so it's not like she hasn't entirely assimilated. And initially, we get no indication that she wants, of course, she has a crush on White Tongue, but we get no indication that she wants that traditional life of being a, a devoted wife and or, or, or uh, wanting kids and a family. In fact, they even have that conversation with White Tongue's mother and saying, don't you want to be a woman? And she's kind of uh, she's of two minds about that
1: yeah she says i have my own future to consider and earlier in the film you see how mercenary she actually is that like the guy she's dating she's on the lookout for green cards as opposed to love or family
0: yeah yeah, exactly so that's why i wasn't sure exactly what if if there's any statement that that Ang Lee was trying to make there that you know if you assimilate you have an easier time but not not really i'm not sure that's what he's trying to say there so that's why i was a bit i wasn't exactly what I was sure what to make of the contrast between Waitang and Wei Wei. It's,
1: it acts as a backdrop and sort of character details that uh, uh, lead to plot developments and uh, the what takes precedence is the gay story, really.
0: I don't think Ang is trying to make a, any points about immigration here. I think it's just, it's just used as a backdrop. So ultimately, I think I arrived at the same conclusion as well. So for just moving on to a, a related theme or related topic. I'm pretty sure he's, Ang Lee said in an interview about Brokeback Mountain that he said this is a love story first and a gay story second. Uh, I also think this is a, a sort of a similar to this is a, sort of applies to to the wedding banquet not necessarily that it isn't the gay part is not central to the story but I think this is a a story about you know, the immigrant story, not 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 about immigration itself, but about uh esch- eschewing traditions or abandoning tradition versus a more modern lifestyle. And the gay the gay thing, the gay part of the story is just one example of how that can happen. And I say that because I we get that set up initially with that very successful woman who whom he thought that would not exist because he put it in his application so that he would never work with six foot tall and two PhDs and speaks five languages and is also an opera singer or, or something like that. Yeah. And, and it, it turns out that, he, that someone like that actually does exist. Not two PhDs, but everything else <laughs> uh, she meets. Uh, but she says, she says that she's also in the same boat because she has a white boyfriend and she knows her parents would not approve. And I get the sense that if we, if the camera just all of a sudden decide to follow her instead of white tomb, we would get a very similar story by the end of the film.
1: I can see that. Like if you put her in a similar position and gave her sort of like a a, a Chinese friend who was willing to enter a fake marriage, that the same story beats would work in that setup
0: obviously this is the character is gay and that has special meaning, especially in Asian cultures. But again, I think that's sort of secondary to, uh, to, uh, abandoning tradition or even, you know, trying to reconcile this traditional, the traditional expectations of, of a son who is supposed to carry the name of his family, just like his father did versus his own personal visions for the future. And I think, you know, she, which I forget her name, um, that the, five-language PhD opera singer opera yeah, singer. yeah. Um, she would probably you know have a similar story maybe although I still think she might have a an easier time accepting in in a, in a realistic scenario she would have an easier time accept uh making <laughs> convincing her parents to accept her white boyfriend versus another person convincing your parents to accept his homosexuality mm. uh, but I don't think the the film is trying to make much of a much
1: of a point there I so much of the drama actually hinges on uh, White Tongue being gay, and so I I do view this as a gay story.
0: Okay, so you don't think it's it's the the homosexuality is secondary, like like Ang Lee claimed about Brokeback Brokebeck Mountain.
1: No, I think it's uh, I think it's the primary thrust f- of the film.
0: Yeah, he does make the point when in the hospital saying he does seem to make a very impassionate case for it that I don't think perhaps would would work. On, on that lady's case if, if there was a similar uh, a similar development oh
1: uh, like how he just went through the phases of just going out with girls because it was expected of him
0: yeah well that that of course but also him saying do you know how hard it is for a gay man to find a, a partner that he's compatible with yeah uh, or you know the fact that he was born that way he mentions that he said you know or he says, what his mother says, because that's, just, that's such a typical thing to say, especially in like the 80s and 90s. That was a very uh, common thing to say about gay people that you were led astray or something like that. Or
1: you had a traumatic encounter with a woman.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just just exactly. to
1: trivialize like a very important issue because you can't wrap your head around it. Yeah,
0: and I thought it was a very, a very like a nice, intimate scene where you know Wei Wei is being prepared for uh, her, his par- for White Tongue's parents' visit, and Simon is going through, is going through all of Wai Tongue's, you know, like life and routine and what she should know to be to come off convincing as a fi- fiance, and it it you get the impression in that scene that he knows Wai Tongue better than Wai Tongue knows White Tongue yeah yeah like he likes to sit here and he likes to fall asleep here and this is his drawer and this is the kind of underwear that he likes to wear and this is you know how he sleeps and what how he drinks his coffee and all those things that was that was a very poignant scene i thought in the film yeah
1: I, like i thought that white tongue and simon were a happily connected couple
0: yeah so that that was actually they did white tongue i mean uh winston chow did a more convincing job of being gay than being an, uh, an immigrant in america
1: absolutely like the the um sort of scenes of passion between the two have a feeling of realism to them and when he has that heart to heart with his mother um that was a very moving scene um that was like when the film really opens up like the dilemma and goes into the difficulties of being gay in such a culture
0: yeah and actually i spoke of foreshadowing earlier but i just it occurred to me that when uh when they're chasing each other in the house and taking their clothes off, and then they realize that their father was upstairs measuring his, uh, his pressure or his blood pressure,
1: something like that his father must have heard, must have heard them. Yeah, you you'd have to be blind not to see. Like the way they position yeah. the the two characters, they're always sat next to each other. They're always att- a- yeah. attentive to each other. Um, it's it it builds into like. Um, White Tongue's father understanding.
0: And he's never, we've never, I mean, he has, he had a stroke, but we never got the, the, uh, any, any indication that he might have hearing problems. And they were not being quiet in that scene leading up to the day. They were still putting their clothes on when they went into his yeah, room. Exactly. Well, he, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't, he was kind of turned kind of the other way, not, not back, not his back, but sort of the other way. So it is plausible that he didn't see that, but. He must have heard it. There's no way. I, I often, I thought when I was preparing for this, I thought, okay, what if, if the film was presented from the parents' point of view? Like the audience knew exactly what the parents knew at the beginning of the film and sort of went in. I feel like it would be pretty obvious that you have to be sort of uh, uh, very blind not to kind of figure it out. That Okay, there may be something going on with Winston and, and White Tongue. With I mean uh, with uh, Simon and White
1: Tongue. Yeah, and it, I, it adds sort of comedy of like the wedding as well, where White Tongue can barely kiss Wei Wei, and everybody's forcing them to like get more passionate. And when you look at it, how like white uh, Simon is in most of their pictures? Yeah, I and you see that at the very end scene where um, they're looking through the photo collection, and um, it like comes to the end of the book or the middle of the book just before it's closed and you see that the two are together
0: yeah and there's um another another scene that i enjoyed was when his mother he's still she's still she's not accepted of his homosexuality but he she still wants to take an interest in simon and he re- reluctantly asks her okay do you have any siblings uh where are you from what does your father do or things like that in that uh, cooking scene
1: I, yeah it's i think it contrasts with like um the set of the chinese family which is like tight-knit uh you've got simon's family which is just fractured and uh, again it could be like she's making the assessment that you know, westerners don't have the same family values or it's because simon comes from such a fractured family that he's like leading this alternate lifestyle which like that fully informs like that that shows you like her character's thinking
0: yeah. Although to be fair, Wei is kind of in the same I mean we don't know exactly what her relationship with her parents are, but they are she also does not give the best impression of a tight-knit family to Waitong's parents.
1: I think it's only when she's with Waitong and she sees how he's treating his parents and when she's in on the fraud that she begins to feel guilty and then she starts contacting her parents and starts thinking about it. And then when the challenge is over, when the when the parents go back to Taiwan, she stops thinking about her family. She's like, oh, "I'll settle in America with uh, a a child and these two guys."
0: Although I think the aftermath with Simon White Wei, and uh, Weiwei raising the kid together that would make for a fantastic sitcom. <laughs> that is because they're they're just their personalities are so great that they would just it would just be great. It would be like a.
1: Odd couple type of sitcom that would just be great. Oh, Weiwei and uh, Simon get along like fire yeah. together.
0: Yeah, and Weiwei would be you know negligent. She would forget uh, you know uh, to unplug the iron. She can't cook, and her baby would. Yeah, she can't cook, and Weiwei would be the the uptight person, and White would be the the focus too much on his yeah. job, and they all have to take care of. Uh, uh of uh of the baby and I, again I, i'm not saying
1: that ironically i think it would be it would make a great sitcom it would it would be a, a big improvement on a lot of sitcoms that had gay characters i um earlier this year i watched a film by uh a youtuber called void she was she does video games and um she went into the history of 90s sitcoms and their representations of gay, lesbian, bisexual people. And um, it's easy to forget just how, uh, like, sh- they were given short shrift, uh, these characters. They were treated as um, comedy props for gay panic episodes or, or freaks. And um, this film actually gives uh, these characters, uh, like, full, complex stories and personalities it makes a nice contrast to like some of the stuff that I saw in that video at least
0: yeah just I I want to defend American sitcoms a little bit because it it really depends on you know what show and who was writing it it's it's they're not they're very very different they're diverse like like friends is an example where it was you know some episodes it was uh, you know like gay panic uh, type of representations, but you know, I think the the premise of the early episodes was uh, uh, his wife left, decided realized that she was a lesbian, and that's treated as a joke a little bit. But I think for the most part, that that sort of those characters are
1: treated fairly respectfully. Mm. I ne- I have a confession to make. I've never watched Friends.
0: Well, me neither. I just watched like a few episodes, but I'm familiar- enough to be familiar with it. But I've never watched it all throughout. I have seen parts of Will and Grace and I also don't think that was, I think that was fairly well, uh, it was st- st- stereotype, there were stereotypes in that show, but I, I I always thought they were intentional. Oh yeah, Will and Grace is like,
1: the, the volume set at 11 is <laughs> meant to be like stereotypes.
0: Yeah, yeah, but again, it's they, they sort of they play with the idea, and they they occasionally they uh, subverted. And there was, you know, there was like the gay episodes in Cheers in the eighties, and those were very treated. Uh, there was an episode, I think, in the first season of Cheers where the the premise of Cheers is a, and I'm 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 gonna get off this topic after this story, just to, but I wanted to mention it where uh, the the main character who owns a bar, Sam was also an ex baseball player that was ended up being alcoholic. And that's how he ruined his career. And he finds out that one of his past teammates came out as gay. That's, a, I thought that was a very, very, especially for the time, it was a way ahead of its time episode. So again, like you see, I agree that yes, there was a lot of times in American sitcoms in the eighties and nineties that were gay characters were either token or sometimes outright offensive, but, I don't think that's uniform.
1: Yeah, like it, American media is very diverse. I'm just making um broad generalization at that point.
0: Yeah, it 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 depends on who's writing yeah. it, you know, who's who's in it, what if the stars align and all that. It's there's there's there's
1: a, there's a lot to well, it. Like the um Ellen DeGeneres, she has her show Ellen and like the sh- it focused on her life and uh she came out as lesbian. So I have not seen, I know the story that she came out in the show
0: to the world, but I don't, I have never seen it. I don't think it's a very good
1: show from what I've read. Yeah, I uh, I remember watching it uh, during the 90s and not particularly liking it. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, most of these 90s and 80s sitcoms were not great, uh, but some of them, I think, uh, again, I, I, I don't like Friends, but it's, for some reason, it's... Uh, it's some and people love it i'm not sure exactly what it is about it that people love it i've tried to watch it and i when it's on tv i've sat down to see uh to catch an episode here and there but it just never appealed to me um, yeah fraser on the uh, fraser is another sorry, sorry to interrupt you Frasier is another example where yes they had a few gay characters in the show and it's always been very very respectful I, from what i remember uh the one gay character
1: i can remember from fraser is uh is it gil the it's got a plummy voice.
0: Oh, Gil, Gil, Gil—he's a closeted gay man in yeah. Fraser. He's never I, all throughout the series. I don't I, if I, if I remember correctly, like he's never actually been actually outed, but it's implied heavily in the show that he's gay. But no, there's been one off gay characters
1: several times. Uh, yeah, and David Hyde Pierce is actually gay in real life. Um,
0: in real life, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Plays uh, Fraser's younger brother Niles.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, which is again, we were we're digressing a lot, but there's apparently that show there's that's coming back. Oh yeah, uh,
1: without uh, Martin and and or David High Pierce. I don't think he's in it either. Yeah, he's not in it either. And Eddie without Eddie,
0: <laughs> without Eddie. Well, if it's not Martin, there's not going to be Eddie too. Uh, Eddie was the dog, <laughs> by the way, for our audiences who are not familiar with it. Um. So another thing, and this is maybe just nothing, but did you, for going back to the wedding banquet, did you get a China versus Taiwan theme being sort of circled around the movie, but not quite, not explicitly touched on, but sort of hinted?
1: I don't know with the interactions between the characters, Wei Wei, uh, she's from Shanghai, and um, Wai Tung and his family are from Taiwan. There's uh easy interaction, and um they switch i i get the sense that they were switching between dialects um with each other quite easily and you get the his the father's history with china um like he just totally accepts her uh he, he like there's an understanding that they're all part of the Chinese diaspora and they're all carrying on uh traditions or in the case of white tongue he's rebelling against them
0: yeah well I mean. There's not no indication that that the parents object to the marriage because from China, not at all. In fact, I've seen in, of course, this is in in a context of immigration. I don't know how it is in Taiwan or in China how people feel, but I've seen people from Taiwan and China interact, and I've I've seen in real life, and that's today. I don't know if it was the same in the nineties, but at least here in the U.S., I've seen no hints of any animosity or or uneasiness between them. But given that. What's his name? White Tong's father was a general in the army. And China's ultimate goal is to one day annex and uh, Taiwan and bring it back to China. It's it, 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 There has to be some implied, I think, animosity there, uh, general. I mean, uh, White Tong's father escaped from China. It's never mentioned, but presumably because of communism. He tries to downplay it by saying, oh, I joined the army just that i didn't want to get married but that doesn't change the 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 fact that there was uh, uh, some issues there with china's uh, authoritarian regime and also taiwan's authoritarian regime which was not a trivial but he was in opposition
1: to china's well he says he fought the japanese and then he fought the communists and then he escaped to taiwan um and uh i got the sense like i think as westerners we tend to view uh, things quite simplistically uh, in that region. we assume that Taiwan or Taiwanese and Chinese would naturally hate each other, but uh, the links between the two countries are many and varied and um, because they share the same culture um,
0: and they speak the same language.
1: yeah, they speak the same language um, and you often see Chinese or Taiwanese stars uh, appearing in each other's movies so uh, and at that period of time, Relations obviously relations have never normalized between the two countries, but um China had stopped bombarding Taiwan. they were actually bombarding Taiwan with like artillery uh for quite a while and they and you get the sense that things have cooled down at that point, and maybe just like that situation, the father's attitude had mellowed out somewhat, especially now that he's out of the army and it's like what can he do? He's just happy that he's got a daughter-in-law. You you still have to apologize if you call Taiwan a country.
0: So there's that. Yeah. So the, the animosity exists, maybe not between the people. So I agree. Yeah, that's perhaps an oversimplified view. But there's certainly tensions between the government.
1: I think it just plays into like a theme of resignation that, well, like I've spent all my life um, in the army. I now have to give it up. I've given it up. I can no longer command thousands of men. Um, my health is failing. Uh, so I have to rely on others. Um, my son is going to provide me with an heir. Thankfully, um, she just happens to be from mainland China. Okay, I'll accept that. And um, then you get to the end, which is like, um, my son is gay, but he's going to give me a son, uh, a grandson. So I'll accept that. That's all he hears about. It's it's just like resignation that, like, things are changing and that maybe he can't quite cope. And, uh, at least he gets that he, like his objective is to get a grandson and that's what he's focused on. And that's what he accepts.
0: Yeah. Well, he says, he says that something like that explicitly where, well, if it wasn't for all these lies as deceit, I wouldn't have a grandson today. So it kind of all worked out, uh, which is kind of selfish in its own way, but he obviously wouldn't
1: see it that way. I, f- I think in another movie, they try and give it a happy resolution where the father says to the mother, oh, I know that he's gay. And then uh, the mother's able to move on and accept it. Uh, but they don't give that resolution here. It's like everybody is living some sort of lie. Like some people know more than others. And they just yeah. resign to the fact that at least um, we've got a grandson.
0: I think, I, uh, again, there's nothing in the movie to support this, but I think Winston at some I mean, Win, I keep calling him Winston, but it's Simon. Uh, Simon will eventually tell uh, White Tong that, yeah, hey, I think we should know your father knows, or something like that.
1: Yeah, I you can imagine that, like, if the film had continued, like, there would be, like, two years later. In the sitcom or, version. <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the sequel sitcom. In the sequel sitcom, in the special episode where they all go to Taiwan, and uh, the mother's, like, your father told me everything and uh let's all party and what whatnot but here Ang Lee doesn't give it to you and it's uh, uh the final scene's a very downbeat ending i found like everybody's like having to live a lie. this um white tongue hasn't been able to connect to his his father so there's going to be some distance there and um like it's like nothing's resolved except getting the grandson yeah exactly uh exactly yeah, I think that might have been one
0: thing. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm making too much of it. I think that might have just been one thing to make the character of Wei Wei a little bit more interesting. Uh, I don't know if the the actress herself. Just to give a, the actress herself is not Chinese. I looked that up. She was actually a politician. She's a member of the Taiwanese Parliament or or equivalent. And actually, interestingly enough, she is a uh, she her part of her party is supports reunification
1: with China, yeah. and she's anti-Japanese. Uh, and she works with Aborigines in Taiwan.
0: Yeah, uh, and of course, Winston uh, Winston Chow has been appearing in a lot of Chinese movies, including actually a lot of what I, I would consider Chinese propaganda movies. So you're right. Yeah, there's the the especially in the world of entertainment, the lines are very blurred. But I was I wasn't sure what the fil- if the film is taking any position of that or if it's just coincidence purely for character development.
1: I think in terms of like, um, soft power, uh, propaganda, China does, um, fly out, um, Taiwanese businessmen to make deals in China. Um, and as we've stated, actors and actresses, uh, f- travel freely, uh, around, um, Chinese, uh, entertainment industry. So it's a, it's a lot more complicated than, uh, we, understand it as westerners
0: well economic economics are a big incentive you know you can't especially in asia but now all over the world china is a big part of the world economy you could argue again it's completely outside of the scope of our podcast you can argue the ethics of it and you can argue whether or not a lot of people have made the case whether or not that's sustainable but but there's definitely you know the economic times ties are undeniable especially between taiwan and china
1: well yeah it's part it's like the Belt and what was it the Belt and Road Initiative where they've just spent decades investing in Africa and um, they've been trying to invest yeah. in South America, but America's sort of caught on and is pressuring South American, Central American governments not to get involved.
0: Yeah, but
1: um, yeah,
0: that's why John Cena has to apologize. Yeah, well, when he calls Taiwan a country, um,
1: I will never let that go.
0: That just made me so angry.
1: But anyway. this is like the Uyghur population is experiencing. Um. Gen- genocide, I suppose that's yeah the only way you can call it. Sure, sure. To go back to
0: um to Tai to sort of the the film a little bit. There's you know Taiwan is also recently legalized gay marriage, so that's another an interesting tidbit.
1: Yeah, it would be interesting to talk to a Taiwanese person and try and understand like um the journey that how the issue has evolved. Yeah, yeah. I've like definitely it's a sense of. Repression, but there were gay rights activists um throughout the seventies and eighties. Um, I can't remember the name of the gay rights activists, but it's a social issue that people were discussing. You're talking about in Taiwan. In Taiwan, yeah. Okay. Uh, also, like um, just to go back to the father, except in Weiwei, you can imagine that he's like, well, she's made the effort to escape from China, so she's one of the good ones. Maybe, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily like. I said, I don't think the film
0: thinks about that too much. But I guess it's a, that's a valid interpretation.
1: Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, What's the name? Uh, I watched the film. Like your uh, engraved here in engraved. You'll probably end up cutting this from the podcast. Your name engraved here in which um, is uh, set in the 80s 90s and you see that um homosexuality uh although not mainstream uh it was in military schools and um uh the government may have tried to suppress it but uh you had protesters um trying to bring the issues to the light to, to light
0: Oh, I see.
1: What What's the name of the film again? Uh, your name engraved herein. I okay. reviewed it as part of Osaka Asian Film Festival
0: uh, last year. Okay, I'll I'll try to remember if I I'll try to remember to include a link of that in the in the show notes. By the way, I'm cutting nothing. The oh, world has okay. to see how hard we work. Okay.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> apologies to everybody who's had to sit through um, me stammering through (laughs) different points it's okay i'm I'm sure
0: they can understand uh uh, so what speaking of marriage in general do you think and this is again this might be one of those um stretches or or you know uh extrapolated conclusions but do you think the film tries to make a statement about marriage in general and i mentioned i hinted towards this in the beginning when we talked about that humorous scene in the city hall uh, wedding scene and there's you know a couple of films where marriage in general, not necessarily just not gay marriage obviously there's no gay marriage in the film, but just marriage in general is kind of made made light of. Do you think there's any statement on behalf of the film that maybe among all the other outdated transition traditions, marriage is a sort of an institution that is becoming meaningless as time goes on and the only the only benefit that people might see is are the tax benefits or, or
1: equivalent. Yeah, at the end of the film, you get a patchwork family. It's kind of like, it doesn't matter if they're married, they're just together. But um, you, uh, you get the sense that marriage as an institution, uh, it's uh, a bit like a business transaction because for the whole community, not just the individuals involved, because you see how everybody donates money and goes to the ceremony and is invested in in this couple coming together and um having children and um it's a little bit cynical I suppose. It looks like
0: the people who are to benefit the least from the marriage is uh the, the two people that are getting married because the the parents are investing it because they want grandchildren and they want the, the they want to sort of save face to use that term and continue the family legacy. The guests they want to, they want to wait an excuse to uh escape five thousand years of sexual oppression like like uh says is it, and that moment where they invade their bedroom that was so if that happened in real life I would be if that happened to me in real life, I would be so mad
1: I, yeah, it's like you're delaying what you're trying to facilitate <laughs> <sorry>. exactly yeah <laughs> yeah, exactly but it looks like yeah the, the the people everybody is enjoying the
0: marriage except the two people that are actually getting married.
1: Yeah, they, there's all these impositions on the two people who should be most enjoying the ceremony, and I, I guess that's like once you sign a contract, you don't belong. You, you, you can no longer be selfish. You don't, be, you, you know, you belong to others. You belong to a whole community, and it feeds into that idea that marriage is a continuation of like culture and tradition.
0: Yeah, and, and of course, I think tied to that is often, not not always, it really depends on the culture, but marriage has often been, in feminist causes, often been associated with the repression of women, you know, the, especially the, the the way marriage has worked traditionally, you know, in, in European cultures, but presumably in Asian cultures as well. And I think that might be part of it, especially when you tie it to the discussions that the mother has with Wei Wei about, you know, what it is to be a woman and how she says at one at one minute she says i envy you modern women because you're so independent but then she immediately reverses that saying oh but you must still be a woman and you're still uh like she's still incapable of understanding you know how a woman may sort of live outside that sort of goal of marriage which is has been traditionally the ultimate goal for women in certain societies
1: yeah i think so uh that seems like a poignant comment on that generation of women who had to subsume their entire identities into like their husband's family and like her desperation to turn her son from gay into heterosexual is born from that experience of only being able to produce one male heir and everything rests on his shoulders and um she says she looks on with jealousy at younger women but she has no idea how younger women may feel about marriage she has these she she gives a statement saying young women have freedom and uh Wei Wei is like, No, it's not that easy. We deal with the same things. In many cultures around the world, women have to give themselves up. It uh subsume their personality into uh the family. And um yeah, it's again it's like breaking from tradition where Wei Wei is like faced with a crisis that does she want to continue this and the film gives her an out with like two two gay men but she can live somewhat freely
0: yes again sitcom (laughs) um uh uh, i was gonna say yeah i mean even (laughs) even in the planet of the apes movies they have a scene about that i mean the third the third planet of the apes movies is kind of like a sitcom essentially or at least 60 percent of it is a kind of a
1: sitcom they go back in time i i remember the first one and then i remember one where like these hippies are surrounding a tree and they're attacking it Okay, well, I'm not sure which one that would be. I don't know. I watched many of these. As, I was forced to watch many of these as a child. <laughs> that might have been from a TV series. I don't remember
0: hippies in any of them.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. This was like... I did not have uh, ownership of the remote controls back in the 90s, so I was watching what my oh, parents watched. I see, yeah. No, the first two ones
0: are my favorite. The first one is the best, obviously, and the second one is... Almost like an addendum to the first one. It just explores the lore more, and the th- the th- the last three ones are almost a separate trilogy. But anyway, we we I don't want to digress any further. It was just um the when she says uh, to go back to something that you said when Wei Wei mentions that yes, but there are other downsides. Presumably, she's indicating to the loneliness that comes from being independent, and that sort of that reminded me of. You know, I don't know if you've seen the movie *Inherit the Wind*. No. A it's an old movie about the Monkey Trials, uh, the Scopes Monkey Trials with um, what's <laughs> the actor's name? Spencer Tracy. Okay. Yeah, with a teacher that taught evolution in schools, and then he has to go to trial. And anyway, but he the, the, nothing to do with this. But there's a, there's a there's a the lawyer makes a case where he says, okay, women just got the right to vote. And that's great, but that also comes with your responsibility. You cannot hide behind your hes i mean he puts it in the nowadays terms your petticoats, but I think the sentiment is right, and I think that that's with being a the same thing with being a citizen you know being a citizen you know in a democracy, for instance, it comes with a privilege, but also comes with in my opinion with responsibilities and I think that's I think that's that's a very poignant uh, moment that yes modern modernity at least in my view, is better because it, it provides more independence to groups of people that in the past have lacked independence, like women being one of them, for instance. But also that comes with responsibilities. And, you know, those responsibilities can be unpleasant sometimes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like Weiwei is an individual. She's on her own.
0: She's a starving artist.
1: Yeah. She's got no one to take care of her. And it must be a shock to the system when you experience that for the first time. You can imagine that she's like being part of a tightly knit family in Shanghai and like all of a sudden she's exposed to the world.
0: Did, did, do did we ever, did the, uh, the gender of the child ever get revealed? Did we find out that it's a male? I don't remember.
1: No, no. You get okay. the comment from the mother that like, uh, Weiwei's arguments, uh, uh, you know, stems from the fact that, uh, she's pregnant with a boy, but, uh, you, you don't get a sense of the, Charles.
0: Okay, yeah, that's that's what I I remembered. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, yeah, as a, another another little uh, uh you know pre- superstition, I suppose. So you, I forgot to do it this time. I forgot to write the awards, but this film has it was received very well from the very beginning, and you wrote down some of the awards that it was. Uh, that he won and was nominated. So would you like to briefly go over them, Jason?
1: So it's a winner of 12 awards, including a Golden Bear at the 1993 Berlin International Film Festival.
0: Which I can't believe I forgot because that's a that's a pretty big one. That's an amazing award for someone to win well, it was presumably his second film.
1: His second feature so, film, yeah. Yeah, good for Ang Lee. And uh, it won Best Feature, Best Supporting Actor for Si Hung Lung, Best Supporting Actress for so they played the appearance best director and best original screenplay at the 1993 I was gonna say 1933 um, 1993 Golden Horse Awards um, Taiwanese Awards
0: yeah which is our sort of to clarify they're sort of the Oscar equivalent for Taiwan
1: hmm and uh, I they also cover like Chinese language films in general right uh, I'm, I'm not as familiar with them so that's entirely possible The Wedding Banquet was also nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the 1994 Golden Globe Awards and uh, the Academy Awards of the same year.
0: Yeah, which I was a little bit surprised by because it it is an American co-production, so it's not an entirely Taiwanese film. Um, But I suppose the the, I've always been a little bit confused as to what the requirements are. I think think at some point the Oscars had a requirement that it needs to be a foreign film, but then they changed it to... It's sufficient that it is in a foreign language, but it, it can be have been co-produced by the U.S. So I don't know. The, the rules are a little bit, are a bit uh, confusing, but, you know, I'm glad it was nominated because it certainly deserves it. Even though, like I mentioned my issues in the beginning, those are very minor compared to, I think, the merits of the film, which are great. Uh, but uh, do you know who won that year? Uh,
1: 1993 Oscars. I was going to say, we're still having, like, arguments over what constitutes uh, an American film, uh, like Minari, which was done in Korean. Like, people argue over that.
0: But that's an Americanly produced film. But that was not eligible for foreign... Was that foreign language? I don't think so. That was... Oh, I I think that was nominated for a foreign language Golden Globe, but not a foreign language Oscar. So different standards there. Yeah, so the, the... the Wedding Banquet, the year that The Wedding Banquet nominate, was nominated, Belle Epoque won the best foreign language that year. It was according to Wikipedia.
1: I've never heard of it. Sounds like a historical piece. a Spanish film.
0: Oh, Farewell, My Concubine was nominated the same year. And The Scent of the Green Papaya, which is a Vietnamese film. So three Asian films, three East Asian films, nominated the same year. That's uh, That doesn't happen very often. Hmm. Uh, okay, Jason, so anything else that you'd like to say before we end the episode?
1: Uh, uh like I got a lot out of this movie. Like I said with um Creature Tiger Hidden Dragon, I think the, the older you are, the more experience you have, the more you bring to this a uh, viewing of this film and the more profound it becomes. Uh it has that all the details of Chinese culture, which is really fascinating and it has uh well written characters and um heartfelt. Um, story about people trying to get along together, and, yeah, trying to make the best of life, even as times change. Okay, and I would I would totally agree with that. Uh, all right, so this was our episode.
0: If you have any questions, comments, corrections, feel feel free to reach us at our website heroic-purgatory.blogspot.com or through through Twitter at uh, heroic-purgatory, all in one word. Otherwise, that's this this was our episode uh, on um, the wedding banquet. We have not quite decided the, the what the next episode will be. might be just another movie discussion or might be an yet another special episode. We're having a few of those uh, in, in quick succession, so that's good. But until then, have a great time watching the movies that we talk about. Hopefully you'll check out The Wedding Banquet if you haven't, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.